Hey, whether you enjoy listening to Breaking Down Collapse or Building Up Resilience, I think you'll also really enjoy our bonus content on Patreon. Yeah, Kellen and I take 20 minutes each week to talk about the news that's happening all around us and Collapse as it plays out. We like to have a little fun with it, but also make sure that you're aware of what's going on in the world of Collapse. We look forward to having you join us there. The link to join us on Patreon is in the episode description. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Kellen, you and I get a decent amount of correspondence on the podcast from listeners, ranging from comments on recent episodes, critiques, to you know recommendations for topics and episodes. We also get a lot of questions, and I feel like we pretty consistently receive questions from people bringing up a topic. Maybe it's something that they are learning about in school. It could be a field that they work in. Or it could just be something that a colleague or a friend brought up to them as a potential solution for problems that we're facing and that we're going to face in the future. And a lot of times they ask the question, do you feel like this is a technology that, if implemented correctly, could stop collapse? And some of those technologies that they bring up are really big, important, mainstream technologies. Ones that we've covered on the podcast before, like electric vehicles, renewables, But oftentimes they're more obscure ideas. And we haven't really covered many of those obscure ideas here on the podcast. But I think the one that we're going to talk about today is one that's been brought up before and that I think certainly has its place in the overall conversation that we're having. Yeah, I mean, we want to know what to expect in the future. We want to know what is the reality of the situation we're in and how much hope can we have. And if there's anything out there that does provide hope, like, of course, we want to know more about that. I saw something today about an emerging technology where they're able to mix some sort of a foam with concrete in a particular pattern and make it so that a structural foundation is just as strong, but uses much less concrete. And that video went on to talk about how that's going to help reduce emissions, that there's 
a pretty significant portion of emissions that come from the manufacturing and the distribution of concrete. So when I hear something like that, I just think this is awesome. Like I want to know as much as I can about this. And with any of these emerging technologies, there are typically a lot of big, bold claims. So you mentioned today's topic, you know, we're talking about solar reflective paint. That might seem like something that's pretty obscure. And yet it is being talked about in certain circles as something that's going to make a huge impact on our ability to combat climate change. So it's worth us looking into it, finding out if it really is going to make a huge difference or not. Yeah, so many claims, like you said, they're big and bold. A lot of them are just noise, right? Distractions, if they're giving an inappropriate sort of amount of hope when there is no hope to be received, they're just selling that hopium, right? They're making money off of these big claims. So it's also important to call that out and to recognize that. Kellen and I have talked many times about technology on the podcast and how we don't believe that technology is going to be the savior that fixes all of our issues. In many cases, technology is the culprit. That being said, we also appreciate technology and understand that technology has a really important part in mitigating a lot of the issues that we're facing. So while no one technology is going to be the solution, technologies can be used to make people more comfortable as collapse progresses and to hopefully help soften the blow a bit. As the world becomes more and more urban, as cities grow bigger, this topic is really important to cover. We've talked in the past about the urban heat island effect, which we'll talk a little bit uh, more about in this episode. But limiting that is going to be important important. As heat waves get worse, as climate change continues to worsen, many of the most vulnerable people live in areas that are affected by the increased heat of an urban heat island effect. So, you know, if we look past limits to growth, if we were to look past population numbers, and we were to look at what a sort of utopia would be like to live in, if it was possible to sustain our population long term, And we were to say, okay, well, what would we need to implement in order to make that a comfortable living situation for people? This would be a very important aspect to make that happen. Yeah, I agree. I think those are all really good points. One comment that I'll make kind of as a a little bit of a tangent here. If you've been listening to the podcast since the start, you know that we've done a handful of these episodes that are kind of a sub-series. We called them Can Technology Save Us? And we got a lot of feedback about using that as the title of those episodes. So we're kind of going away from it. But I mean, if this or any other technology was the thing that was going to absolutely save us, I think we would all be well aware of it by now. Like we haven't yet found the silver bullet, but we can still ask the question, can technology help us? And in many cases, yes, but with each technology, there are pros and cons. And so I think it's crucial for us to understand that. The other thing is when we talk about technology, we almost always think of like digital or electronic advancements. And we forget that technology, one one definition of it is the application of scientific knowledge for practical purposes, especially in industry. And so it doesn't have to be something electronic or digital. It doesn't have to be like a fancy gadget. Here we're talking about a specialized type of paint. And yet it is a technology. When it comes to climate change in particular, 
there are a few different strategies we can take. There's mitigation, adaptation, and then there's geoengineering. And if you'll remember, geoengineering is when we're like retroactively trying to counter the effects of climate change that are already baked in. And there is so much evidence. There are just mountains of evidence now that climate change is having a really negative impact on the planet. And Corey, you brought up that urban heat island effect. Basically, there are certain areas that will experience even more heat. If you've got an urban or a metropolitan area, it's often going to be significantly warmer than any of the surrounding rural areas. And that's both during the day and at night. And that's because you've got buildings and roads that like absorb so much more heat than bodies of water and forests and grass. So the EPA on their website, they say that daytime temperatures in urban areas are about one to seven degrees Fahrenheit higher than temperatures in outlying areas. And nighttime temperatures are about two to five degrees Fahrenheit higher. So that might not seem like a ton, but when you're talking about potentially seven degrees Fahrenheit higher during the day and five degrees Fahrenheit higher at night, and then you think about the fact that there's just a lot more people trying to get by in those urban areas that are then trying to use air conditioning, for example, to keep themselves cool with that excessive heat. You can see why we've had people trying to find some solution to make it so that especially cities don't get quite as hot. Yeah, we talked about this in the cooling episode about how it's a bit of a paradox and a feedback loop that because these cities, these urban areas are hotter than their surrounding areas, it takes more energy to try and cool the buildings down. But by cooling the insides of the buildings down, we're then heating the outside of the buildings, which heats the environment. It causes an increase in emissions. So it's about multiple things here. It's about keeping people comfortable and safe in these hotter environments, but it's also about the fact that It's causing more emissions and thereby exacerbating the problem even more by emitting more CO2 into the environment. I do want to jump in real quick and just mention that I'm excited that I feel like we're to a part of our journey in this podcast where we're able to concentrate on a little more detailed topics such as this one. It feels like at the beginning of the podcast and the first dozens of episodes, it was like we were revealing some big new idea about collapse and talking about things that affected the entire system as a whole. And at this point, I'm excited that we get to talk about things that are a little more micro in scale, talking about things that affect specific subsets of people or a specific subtopic within collapse. When we talk about collapse, we're talking about a huge coming together of multiple systems and how they all affect each other. And this topic is, is a topic within a topic within a topic, but it's one that is so important to so many people. When you think about urban settings, the number of people in urban environments is rapidly increasing, and the percentage of the population that is in urban environments is increasing. So finding ways to reduce their emissions, finding ways to make people more comfortable in those settings and more safe is super important. So I am excited to learn about and talk about this specific technology and how it may or may not help. Yeah, the first several episodes of the podcast were kind of Collapse 101. And then from there, we moved into like Collapse 201. And you could say that now we're getting into the details, right? The the Collapse 301. So when it comes to solar reflective paint, 
It has been discussed. You know, people have talked about using it not just in cities and not even just in populated areas. Some people have presented the idea that we should paint the top of mountains and that we should actually, you know, paint rock formations, especially if they're of a darker color. But in practice, and even when it comes to just people trying to make plans around this, usually they are talking about cities. We mentioned that there are some really big, bold claims. And I'll just read a sentence or two here from an article that highlights that. This says, Studies show that a recently developed reflective paint can help keep buildings cool by reducing the surface temperature of exterior walls by a stunning 28 degrees Fahrenheit, reducing the need for air conditioning, which, in the U.S., accounts for about 15% of energy consumption. Okay, so when you read that, you think, oh my goodness, 28 degrees Fahrenheit? We can reduce the surface temperature of all these buildings by 28 degrees Fahrenheit. That's like 15.6 degrees Celsius. And that means we can bring down our energy consumption by 15%. I mean, you hear that and it's like, this this could make the difference. And not only can it be used to paint buildings, but it can be used to paint roads and rooftops, you know, anything that's brick or asphalt or concrete. And so this was something that we've mentioned in the past and has been on our radar and we've been wanting to talk about. But even just in the last week or two, there have been a lot of news articles in mainstream media about cities that are taking this initiative, especially U.S. cities after all the heat waves that we've had that are saying, look, we're doing something about it. We are going to prevent the extreme urban heat islands that we've had in the past. You know, some people would hear what you just said and get really excited about those numbers, right? And other people would go, 15%? Like all this effort to lower emissions or air conditioning requirements by just 15%? It's hard because on one hand, that is a significant reduction, right? A 15% reduction in energy usage is great. On the other hand, if we're going to double the amount of air conditioning that's needed over the next couple of decades. And in order to reach net zero, like we need to not be using any air conditioning, it still feels like it's it's not anywhere near enough, right? So really it depends on what is the goal here? What's it trying to achieve? And what do we view as a measure of success? Is it reaching net zero and getting rid of all emissions? If so, this is not even close to hitting the mark, right? Is it trying to reduce overall temperatures in the city itself to make the living conditions more comfortable for people, well, then maybe, okay, we're getting more on the right track. But like you said, there are a few cities that have begun implementing this. There are some preliminary numbers that are coming out about how effective it is, and there's still a lot to learn. One major article that came out just this last week is about a city in California called Pacoima. They've painted recently a million square feet of somewhere around 90 parks and playgrounds and many roads. Just to give you an idea of what a million square feet is, so that's about 23 acres worth of surface area that they have painted. And just to give you a bit of an idea of what 23 acres is, the average Walmart supercenter, including the building itself and the parking lot, usually between 15 and 23 acres. So, I mean, that's that's a decently large area, But if you're spreading it out over a large city, it may feel like not a ton. Yeah, I had seen that article 
And in the title of the article, it's saying one million square feet is, is, you know, is being painted by this reflective paint. And initially that makes it sound to me like they have just covered the entire city. But if I go plug that into a calculator and say how many square miles is one million square feet, it's only 0.0359 of a square mile. So it, it, you know, it's being highlighted as this big initiative and I'm sure it took a lot of work, but we're not even talking about getting close to a square mile of coverage. Yeah, well said. It feels like for this to be a practical idea and to really make a difference, you would need to cover a pretty significant majority of the roads, of the asphalt surfaces, of roofs. I know right now this paint is being used for roofs. Here in Pacoima, it's mainly being used on ground level surfaces. But there are still significant challenges as far as, you know, residential roofs, for example, which are a very significant portion of suburban areas. And you can't just paint any asphalt shingle roof with this paint. It needs to be flat roof. So we'll get back to that part in just a minute. But based on what they have said about this experiment, they do say that it cools the pavement itself by around 30 degrees at the hottest part of the day. So that's in line, Kellen, with what you just said, around 28 degrees of the of buildings, 30 degrees for road surfaces, and the average surface temperature decreases by 10 to 12 degrees. So not just during the hottest part of the day, but through the night and everything as well. Now, keep in mind, these are surface temperatures. So if you put your hand down on the asphalt of the road, it's going to be 30 degrees cooler at the hottest part of the day. But they are still in preliminary stages of collecting weekly data to see if it actually affects the ambient temperature, and if so, by how much. Really, that's going to be what's most important, right? I mean, it's very helpful if you're walking barefoot, if your pet, you know, if you're taking your dog for a walk, if it's 30 degrees cooler, that makes a big difference. It also is going to make some difference, you know, up to three feet or so from the heat that's radiating off of that road as well. But for it to really make a difference, it needs to bring down the overall temperature so that, in general, homes aren't having to use as much cooling, as much AC. If it ends up showing in their data that it is reducing ambient temperature, then they're going to try and replicate it and start scaling it up into more neighborhoods and saturating the existing neighborhoods with more of it. This particular effort that's being done is being done by the company that makes the paint, It's being stated as sort of a philanthropic venture. And of course, whenever you're dealing with a corporation, it is pretty hard to say what the motivation, or maybe it's not hard to say what the motivation is typically behind that. I do think there are many people that want to better their communities for sure. But, you know, is this just a big commercial to sell more of their paint? Hopefully the numbers that come out of this are accurate and peer-reviewed and tested to make sure that it's correct. In this particular neighborhood, the paint is different. It's multiple colors. It's meant to blend in more with the area, sort of make it less conspicuous. You know, there are some art installations involved. There was one on one road where they painted a sort of bar chart that shows the change in temperature since like 1865 to 2020 in Pacoima, which is kind of interesting. Or in Los Angeles County, it shows how the temperature has changed. So this chart is blue and then it fades to red pretty rapidly, especially over the last portion. So they're incorporating activism and art into their attempt to also bring down the local temperatures. Now that's in contrast to what's happening in New York City, where more than 10 million square feet of rooftops have been painted white. 
So there's a big initiative there as well to paint these rooftops, but they're just going a pure white color in an effort to keep it simple, keep it quick, and reflect as much light as possible. And there they're doing it for free for certain types of buildings like nonprofits or schools or government buildings. And they're doing it at low cost, they claim. I'm not exactly sure what low cost means for businesses. They said that low cost means they won't charge for labor. They will just charge for the cost of the material. But the benefits that they're claiming from this is that it's going to reduce roof temperatures, where on a typical day, rooftops can reach up to 190 degrees Fahrenheit. So by lowering that by 30 degrees or so is going to help cool the building. They're trying to reduce internal building temperatures. They say that rooftops cooled down by this paint can reduce internal building temperatures by up to 30%, with the average, like Kellen was saying earlier, being 15% trying to reduce carbon emissions, improve air quality by reducing um, you know, air pollution from AC units. They're also trying, they're stating, to extend the lifespan of rooftops and HVAC equipment. By better regulating the rooftop itself, it's able to keep machines cooler and allow them to last longer. And then the last city I'll talk about here was Phoenix, and I'm just going to read a couple of quotes from this article. They're focusing there on painting roads a gray color. I thought it was interesting they mentioned that Most of the feedback they're receiving is positive around the project. However, a lot of people are complaining about the aesthetics of it. So the article says this. It says, Researchers found that the greatest temperature differential was near the road surface with less dramatic results six feet above the ground. Even so, the neighborhoods with reflective streets experienced air temperatures 0.3 degrees cooler during the day and half a degree cooler overnight compared with neighborhoods with black-topped roads. So there they are actually giving some ambient temperatures, anywhere from a third to a half a degree cooler, which, while that may not sound significant, and perhaps it really isn't, it is a start when you're considering all they're doing is painting the roads a different color. It says, if you're standing over one of these surfaces on a hot day, you're still going to be hot if you're not in the shade, said Jennifer Vanos, an assistant professor at Arizona State's School of Sustainability, who worked on the study. So if we really want to be pushing towards true solutions to the heat problems, it's not going to be just paint all the streets white. She's saying this is a very small part of the problem. This is a, a small solution. It helps. But there is so much more that has to actually be done if we're truly wanting to reduce temperatures. And obviously, we've talked in the podcast, what has to be done is we have to stop emitting, <laughs> right? We just have to degrow. But we've also made very clear our thoughts on the likelihood of that happening voluntarily. Lastly, it says, a second phase of the study is forthcoming and will examine questions about how the material performs under varying conditions, including changes in reflectivity, traction in skid, degradation, and subsurface temperature over longer periods. I found that interesting because it shows that there's still so much unknown that even some of the safety questions are still unknown. How safe is this surface on the road for traction and skidding? How long is this stuff even going to last? So it it seems like they're still very much in the preliminary stages of finding out how effective and how realistic this is as even just being part of the solution. Well, as you share those examples, one thing that you touched on over and over again is that there's just still a lot we don't know. You know, there are towns in, in Spain and Greece that have been painting buildings white to help keep them cooler. You know, they've been doing that for centuries. And so none of this is like new, but with the amount of warming that we've experienced in recent decades and with all of the attention that's been placed on 
renewable energy and different forms of mitigation and adaptation and geoengineering, it feels like it's only just now that this is getting enough attention to have researchers taking it really seriously. I did come across an article. This is from the University of South Australia. The title is A Review of Heat Reflective Paints, and it spends some time in a very academic way trying to evaluate how effective these are. But this was from 2010. There's likely been additional research since then, but it's honestly hard to find when we're trying to find specific numbers to see how effective this really is. Most of those numbers are coming from, like you said, Corey, the companies that are trying to sell the paint. In this article, again from 2010, in the final section on conclusions and recommendations, one thing it says is that there is a lack of technical accuracy in much advertising material. The article also highlights that there have been a lot of claims that have been completely proven false. Apparently, there were claims being made that some of this paint is insulative, that it can also help keep heat in a building. I saw a lot of questions being asked online like, is this a paint that I should use on the interior of my home? And it has absolutely no insulative properties. It really doesn't do anything for temperature regulation other than reflecting sunlight. Another thing that makes it tricky is that this is kind of an emerging technology. I mean, we've, as a society, been using white paint to cool things down for decades and even centuries, but these companies are continually refining and creating improved iterations, right? And and new formulas and new types of paint. So there are some paints with metallic pigments that are really efficient at reflecting the sun's radiation. And they're used in, in certain applications like for coating metal roofs, but they're very expensive. It's often over $100 per gallon. And then You know, there's another kind that's kind of mixing like acrylic latexes with some of these other uh, types of pigments and they've developed like a water-based coating and it's cheaper than that really expensive paint, but it's still more expensive than just standard paint. Not only do they have to worry about how reflective it is, but also how long it will last. They also have to worry about how damaging or toxic it is to the environment. And so they're continually reworking these formulas There are even some fancy new paints that can be a different color than white. I mean, you mentioned like a gray, but even you can use all sorts of different shades and colors. And it's the the top layer of the paint that allows you to have those options and color. But there's an under layer that reflects near to short infrared wavelengths, which apparently can still reduce the surface temperature of, of a wall of a building. So to get kind of technical, here's here's something that I found about this fancier paint. It says, this ultra-thin layer contains interconnected micropores and nanopores, which reflect infrared light, a type of electromagnetic wave that transfers heat. The top layer of the paint contains colorants and titanium dioxide, which is already being used to add opacity to paint. And this article cites a a Dr. Chen who says the top layer absorbs appropriate visible wavelengths to show specific colors, while the underlayer maximizes the reflection of near-to-short wavelength infrared light to reduce solar heating, 
Consequently, the bilayer attains higher reflectance compared with commercial paint, monolayers of the same color, and stays cooler by as much as 3 to 15.6 degrees Celsius under strong sunlight. So to make a long story short there, trying to get accurate numbers on how effective solar reflective paint is, is challenging because there's so many factors. And one of those factors is that we have so many different types of solar reflective paint with different applications. And again, usually the data that we're seeing is is coming from the producers of that paint. So it's hard to know how valid it is. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see once real numbers come out and hopefully real numbers from experiments and tests done by trusted sources, not the corporations who are manufacturing the product. Because while this type of a solution may not be world changing, right? It may not save us from collapse. That's a silly idea to think about considering just how complex the collapse topic is. This could be, if if positive numbers were to come out about what it does to ambient temperature in urban areas, at the very least could be something that positively affects the lives of millions of people as the effects of climate change, worsening heat waves, continues to accelerate. Yeah, so although the numbers aren't totally clear, there's still a lot that needs to be researched. You might think, well, if it has any sort of positive impact, then let's go for it. But that's where it's important for us to understand what the cons are. You know, that there are certainly drawbacks with every type of technology, and this one is no exception. So the first is that it costs more. We talked about that already, and, and there's an argument that, like, the more we use it, the more it's being produced at scale, the more those costs will come down. But we're not just talking about using it in place of paint that we're already using. We're talking about using it in places that we're currently not using paint. And so there would be a significant cost. I mean, think about how many gallons of paint would be required just to cover one mile of road. And when you talk about all of the hundreds and thousands, millions of miles of roadway that weave in and out of urban areas, the con is that it would just cost so much. Along the lines of trying to cover so much area, I mean, that's a lot of material. And we talked about there's different chemicals, different types of material that would need to be used depending on which paint was chosen. But I've even heard or I've seen online as I did research for this, people saying this could save us like we've got the ice caps that are melting. And so there's less of that albedo effect, but that's okay because we can paint a bunch of stuff and still get that albedo effect back. And yet there are so many miles it would take so much more material than of like Arctic sea ice, for example, that is disappearing, we have access to to create that much white paint. Speaking of it being white paint, one challenge is that it gets dirty. It gets covered in dust and all of a sudden it becomes less effective. If you're talking about a road that you're trying to paint white, well, it doesn't take very long as cars are driving over that road again and again for the white paint to get covered up or to get so dirty that it no longer looks white. Another con is that sometimes it's presented as a solution for rooftops, but many of the areas that would need a white roof during the summer need a dark roof during the winter. Areas that get snow experience more rooftop damage the longer there is heavy snow sitting on the roof. And although climate change means the globe is heating up on average, it's creating all these weather anomalies 
you think of something like the Texas freeze and they desperately needed the sun to come in and melt all that snow and ice. But it takes much longer for snow on a rooftop to melt if it's not on a dark surface. One additional downside that's been brought up is that it can actually cause eye damage the more reflective the surface is. And it's actually for that very reason that a group at Columbia University created that double-layered paint that I mentioned before, where that where the top layer can actually be a different color, but it can still reflect certain types of, of light. It's been brought up that there are three different methods of energy transfer. There's conduction, convection, radiation. We don't need to go into all of those, but this really only addresses the one, which is radiation. And when you talk, Corey, about some of the results to ambient temperature, and they're talking about a 0.3 degree change, you know, I think you said between 0.3 and 0.5. At some point, we have to ask the question, is it worth it? You know, all the the cost and effort, can we afford to put all of that forward for perhaps only a 0.3 degree decrease? Yeah, when you consider all of the cons that you just mentioned, all the challenges that this technology faces, it seems like if it was really effective, if the numbers were just, you know, blowing us out of the water it was decreasing ambient temperatures by four to six degrees and you know offsetting the urban island heat effect and you know 80 to 90 percent of that or something like that you know then it's like okay those challenges may be ones that we can overcome but like you said when we're talking a third of a degree to half of a degree and all of the effort and time and money that would have to go into a project like this the maintenance is that at all worth it? I think it's clear that, I mean, even before we asked the question, if we were to ask the question, will solar reflective paint save us? Well, that's a laughable no on the scale of collapse. But there is no denying that these sorts of technologies have a place in helping to, you know, adapt and mitigate to the changes that are happening, whether we like it or not, with, with climate change. And all of that by the way, on top of the fact that it's just going to be challenging for people to want to adopt simply for aesthetic reasons. I know in the United States, it's currently really trendy to have like black garage doors. There was a home that was built close to where I live that the entire home is like a really dark navy blue color. And I imagine that they just have to crank the air conditioning all day, especially during the summer. But for them, it's worth it. They're okay with paying the extra cost in energy to be able to have a home that they feel like fits a certain style or is beautiful to them. And so we're talking about some of the more logistical challenges and and yet even just getting people to adopt it is a huge challenge. Yeah. So, you know, is the technology bad? No. If it's helpful at all, if it's lowering temperatures at all, that's a good thing. It's just asking that question of what's it worth? Will people adopt it? How many obstacles are there to overcome? And you know, when you think about things like catabolic collapse, as the overall situation deteriorates, it's going to become more and more important that resources are put into what is most important, right? And to me, it sounds like the amount of resources, both time and energy and money and material research that would have to go into not just overcoming the obstacles to this technology, but implementing it on a large scale would probably be much better used in a different capacity. 
how nice it would be if we could get to the root of the problem. Instead of trying to put a bandage on the bullet hole, if we could stop firing bullets, that would be where to put our energy, right? So when people come to us in the podcast and say, hey, have you heard about this solar reflective paint? What do you think? You think this could offset the heat in urban islands and and you think this will be a solution for us? Like to me, I will always say technologies like this are worth exploring. But in the grand scheme of things, when we're talking about collapse, to me, it feels like hospice. It feels like an attempt to ease the suffering of people as their sort of physical situations start to spiral out of control. Yeah, and it feels like, you know, let's say I'm a government and I have $300 million that I can put toward trying to prevent collapse. Well, do I put that toward like strengthening our infrastructure? Do I put it toward carbon capture? Do I put it toward renewable energies? Do I put it toward painting everything white? You know, do I put it toward economic incentives to keep GDP marching along? Put it towards bread and circuses to keep people distracted and happy? Yeah, and it's like, honestly, we need all the things and yet we don't even have enough resources to really fully invest in any single solution. And then we get hit with crisis after crisis and we're just trying to repair all the damage we can rarely even do any of the proactive things so yeah can technology help us in this case yeah at least marginally which is great (laughs) can it save us nah we'll continue doing episodes on some of these more specific technologies in the future i know we're going to get into things like desalinization plankton farming and seaweed, heat pumps, vertical farming. Like there's all sorts of things that people bring up as like, these are the technologies of the future. This is what humanity has to rely on. And while the goal is never to approach those with the intent of tearing them down, because again, like we've said, we're pro-technology, but it's important to always remember in the big scheme of collapse, when we're talking about systems and thinking in systems, many of these technologies feels equivalent to buffing out a dent or a scratch in your bumper as you careen off a cliff at 100 miles an hour, right? If there is a topic that you'd like us to cover in regards to technology or any other topic, feel free to reach out to us, breakingdowncollapse at gmail.com, or you can find me on Reddit at Corey John, K-O-R-Y-J-O-N. K-O-R-Y-J-O-N.